This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. And uh, we want to wish our listeners a Happy New Year. This is the first live show where Jess and Jamal are both live in studio. I want to welcome my co-host Jamal Dejani back from his trip to uh, Palestine, to Jerusalem, which we will be getting to back in the show, later on in the show, Jamal. But the breaking news for today is that uh, we're, we're living in a moment of great historical significance, Jamal. This is only the third time in the history of the Republic, in the history of the United States, that a president of the United States, a sitting president of the United States, in his first term has had uh, articles of impeachment voted on by the Congress and now walked over, sent over to the Senate, and now accepted by the Senate for a trial. This is truly a historic moment. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, today was sworn in. He's the official judicial officer or judge uh, in this uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, in this uh, hearing in the Senate. We have the 100 senators who have been sworn in today, Jamal, as the official jurors of the impeachment trial. This is truly a historical moment. And in the midst of this historical moment, Jamal, we have so much breaking news. We're going to be talking about Lev Parnas, who is arrested uh, under federal charges of uh, campaign finance breaches. But as it turns out, Lev Parnas, Jamal, is the right-hand man of Rudy Giuliani and has been doing a lot of dirty deeds behind the scenes in this shadow government. We're also going to be talking today about the ruling from the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, that ruled that Donald Trump's Basically, withholding of congressionally mandated funds for Ukraine, when he held that up, it was deemed to be illegal because this money was mandated by law under the Congress to be given to the Ukraine. So net-net, Jamal, big historical moment. Donald Trump has been impeached, and now the Senate has been sworn in. The official trial soon to begin to determine whether or not Donald J. Trump should be removed from office as president of the United States. That's right, Jess. And uh, you and I, uh, before coming to the studio, we watched uh, the swearing in of the Chief Justice. And then the Chief Justice himself uh, swore all uh, hundred, was call- they were calling four at a time swearing all senators uh, present in in the room. So uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, was sworn in to preside over the trial. Uh, I think just to keep, to kind of give it a balance. I mean, I haven't seen, I mean, this is the first time I actually I watched the whole impeachment during the Clinton. We kind of didn't keep an eye. I didn't keep an eye on what was going on, but uh, this is kind of captivating the nation. People are taking it more Seriously, and uh, and then uh, the difference is just is that Donald Trump is refusing, and the GOP they are refusing to have witnesses testify 
in front of the exactly. Senate. So they want to hold a trial, which is, you know, it's kind of uh, ludicrous to have a trial without witnesses. Uh, witnesses when every day we keep discovering a new leaf under this onion, like peeling an onion right. on a daily basis. And, of course, you just mentioned the recent fallout uh, continued today and yesterday, uh, you know, the allegations by Lev Parnas, who is a former associate of Trump's personal lawyer. And I watched tidbits of his interviews, both on MSNBC and, and CNN. And I think there is another um, segment which will air tonight, uh, right. uh, 8 p.m. Pacific time. I, or uh, is it 8 p.m. Pacific? Or, well, anyway, you can look, look that up. And in those uh, snippets, he called the president a liar because right. Donald Trump and they kept playing an old tape when he acted like he never met the man. I don't know the man. I never said. And he said, that's not true. We've sat actually, you know, because Donald Trump says kind of to cover himself. Uh, he says, I don't well, know I that mean, man. Well, no, he says that, but he says, I meet a lot of people. People come shake my hands. And then uh, Lev Parnas said, no, we actually had several meetings where, where there were five or six of us around the table. Actually, Jamal, what he said specifically, in addition to that, is Donald J. Trump knew everything that I was doing, yeah. knew exactly what I was doing. And I think one of the things from the MSNBC interview that was interesting, that Lev Parnas said, everybody knew, meaning Pence, right. uh, Pompeo, Mick Mulvaney, and he Im Im implicated Bill Barr, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the head of the Justice Department of the United States. Everybody knew that we were doing this, Giuliani and I were doing this, and that it had nothing to do with Ukrainian corruption. That's right. It had everything to do with trying to find dirt on Joe Biden, Trump's uh, presumptive uh, uh, person that he would be running against. So this is really big news. And the Congress, when they filed their articles of impeachment, Jamal, didn't have this information. Now they do. Of course. And not only this, but he had several meetings with Donald Trump, several other meetings, of Phone course, calls. With, with Giuliani, heard uh, Donald Trump speaking to Giuliani. And and then the president stands in front of millions of people and says, I don't know this guy. Right. I mean, this is the ridiculous thing. So now we have the former associate of Trump's personal lawyer, Rudolf Giuliani, that Trump knew of his efforts, this is what he, to dig up, this is what he said, Trump knew of his efforts to dig up dirt in Ukraine that could benefit the president politically. So the impeachment now, uh, the impeachment charges center on the allegation that Trump withheld military aid and a White House meeting to pressure Ukraine to investigate his political rivals, abuse of including, power. Yeah, so that's the, you know. Well, there's two. There's two, Jamal. Abuse of power because he withheld uh, military aid that had been approved by the Congress. And today, again, the breaking news, the Government Accounting Office, the GAO, found that when Trump did that through the OMB, Offices of Management and Budget, when he did that, that was illegal. That was against the law. The second article of, of impeachment is uh, contempt of Congress. 
And this is the Congress can subpoena anybody it wants, including the president. And when you refuse to reveal and to come before uh, a subpoena, either with documents or your testimony, that you're held in contempt. Contempt of Congress is one of the biggest forms of contempt that any U.S. citizen or anybody can can commit. And so those are the... Obstruction or contempt? I think it's obstruction. Well, the obstruction is the contempt. Right. So uh, Donald Trump remained silent. He didn't say anything? And then just recently he tweeted. Oh, what did he say? And then this actually tweeted this uh, just after uh, Judge... uh, uh, Chief Justice Roberts was sworn in, in big caps. I just got impeached for making a perfect phone call. That was his tweet. So right, actually, right after the senators were sworn in for his I- impeachment, all in capital letters, I just got impeached for making a perfect phone call. Of course, Trump was referring to the July 25th phone call with the Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky, Zelensky, where he asked about the probe into the Bidens. Uh, you know, that conversation led to, to Trump's impeachment. So so now, you know, he's acting like, I'm the victim, I've made a perfect phone call, I'm getting impeached. Well, I think that's going to be the Republican message, Jamal, because what we have now is a battle of narratives, we have a battle of facts, we have a battle between reality and fantasy. Um, what we're facing right now is that the main Trump strategy and the strategy of his lawyers is going to be, I didn't do anything wrong, and um, you can't prove it. Well, so, I mean... That's, that's the strategy. That's the strategy. And, and by the, the way, by the way, just so that we know, it's working. From the standpoint, I mean, the way it's going to play out in the Senate, for the next maybe two weeks, 10 days to two weeks, the Senate will hear testimony from the managers. Mm -hmm. These are congressional representatives that Nancy Pelosi has identified that are going to make the case. Without any witnesses. So far, yeah. So Mm -hmm. they will present the information. It's going to be Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, Zoe Lofgren, you know, Hakeem Jeffries and some others. The defense will be mounted by uh, Pat Cipollone and some other people who are the Trump attorneys. And what they will do, essentially, is defend the president Jerry against... So uh, whoops, we have... Yeah. yeah. They, they, will, they will then defend the president against these uh, accusations. After that's all wrapped up, Jamal, after about 10 days to two weeks, what will happen is that the Senate can then decide if it wants to have witnesses or not. And as it stands now, even though John Bolton said he would be a witness, Mm -hmm. even though Lev Parnas said he would be a witness, even though Rudy Giuliani said he would be a witness, there doesn't seem to be political appetite among the senators, the Republican senators at this point, to get the 51 votes that they need in order to bring witnesses to the chamber. So I'm seeing two trials, Jess. I am seeing the trial in the Senate. Yeah. And the writing is on the wall because the GOP, they made it very clear. We're going to go through this procedure. We are not going to bring any witnesses. And at the end of the day, Donald Trump will remain president. Yes. Because the Democrats will not have enough votes unless something incredible 
happens in the next two, three days. The other trial that we're witnessing today is a trial in uh, of public opinion. Yes. It's a trial on TV. It's trial, uh, you know, amongst uh, different pundits. Media. Media, etc. And then, which brings me back, because now, even though we've seen all these witnesses and witnesses, I mean, we've had so many people, I call Donald Trump's men, who ended up in jail, yeah. starting f with his past personal, personal attorney Cohen, and 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 you know, and we can name several of these people that we've actually most of, most of the public have have already forgotten about them. To now, the key witness that we are seeing basically uh, being questioned on TV, not at court, not in right. the Senate, Lev Parnas, who Trump just on th last Thursday, I think a week ago from now, dismissed, uh, denied knowing Parnas. Now he knows them. Dismissed a photo of himself with uh, Giuliani, saying associate as one of thousands he has taken with supporters as president. And I'm here quoting from Trump. I don't know him at all. Uh-oh. Don't know what he's about. Don't know where he comes from. I mean, this is a guy who is working on his behalf, well, Giuliani's behalf, who he met with several times. Spoke with. Spoke with. Yes. So, and then he adds, perhaps he's a fine man, perhaps he's not. I know nothing about him. I don't believe I've ever spoken to him. I meet thousands and thousands of people as president. So, now we see Parnas. He is now making the rounds, and that's the trial of, you public, know, opinion. of public opinion. Yep. MSNBC first uh, with Meadows, now uh, with uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN, and said, what is he talking about? I sat with him with five other people. How can he not remember me? It wasn't like thousands amongst thousands and thousands of people. I've received directive from him. I've listened to his conversation with Giuliani on the loud on, on the phone speaker, on the telephone speaker. And I was acting on his behalf and I'm willing to testify in the Senate. It doesn't seem, Jamal, that um the GOP senators at this point. Now, I, I think you're exactly right. We have two trials. The trial that's going to take place in public opinion is one. And by the way, if you look at the polling, 70% of Americans, which includes obviously Republicans, Democrats, independents, 70% of Americans who've been polled about impeachment would prefer to have some witnesses come to the Senate and testify. There has never been an impeachment trial that didn't have witnesses. In fact, you could argue there's never been a trial, period, in our judicial system that didn't have some form of fact witnesses or testimony. So in terms of the court of public opinion, Jamal, it seems like there is a majority that do want to see wit witnesses come to the Senate. There are perhaps five senators that are vulnerable for re-election. Susan Collins, Murkowski of uh, Alaska, maybe Mitt Romney, maybe Cory Gardner, 
maybe this Senator Cinema from uh, Arizona. All the Democrats, all the Senate needs to do in order to have witnesses, Jamal, is have four senators say that they want to have uh, witnesses. They get to the majority, the 51 votes in the Senate, and there will be witnesses. Now, do you think, I mean, I'm, you know me in terms of I like to make predictions and things like that. If you asked me a week ago when I was watching Senator McConnell basically say, I'm going to be working hand in hand with the president, hand in hand with the White House, so on and so forth, I didn't believe there would be ever be uh, any witnesses. But now with the revelations of Lev Parnas and the new revelations, Jamal, that there may have been surveillance of Marie Ivanovich. Uh, the former ambassador to Ukraine who was summarily fired from her job by Donald Trump, that she was being surveilled by U.S. citizens and information was given back to the White House in order to get her fired. Uh, these are, these are these, if proven true, they're so outrageous, I got to believe that there's four senators that will vote to have witnesses so I'm leaning a little differently now, Jamal. I want to know your take on whether or not you believe that we can find four Republican senators who might vote to have witnesses. It will be difficult uh, from what I've been seeing. Uh, the uh, GOP uh, has been doing everything to avoid having right. witnesses. They also want to rush through this trial and this is this is uh, not by chance. Donald Trump now, uh, you know, I guess conceding that he got impeached in a way, yeah. not accepting it, but conceded. He said, "I want to, I want a speedy trial." Why do you want to have a speedy trial? I mean, tell me why. Because the longer this trial drags on, the more stories, the more witnesses, the more accounts that you'll have to present. So I think what their strategy is, although I just was reading to see after this we're in, it looks like the trial, uh, according to McConnell, he read several unanimous consent requests related to the trial. The Senate then adjourned until Tuesday. January, Tuesday, January 23rd yeah, Tuesday. at 1 p.m. when the trial will begin in earnest. So. Today was the ceremonial presentation. Yes. We've seen them walking in the articles of impeachment, the swearing in, the chief justice. The trial really begins on Tuesday. Now, Donald Trump wants this over with in two, three days at the most. Now, from now till Tuesday, you know, you know of course, we have the weekend, but anything can happen. Absolutely. I mean, this Parnas is running from network to the other you know, saying few things here and there, tidbits. He's releasing information. Like a slow drip. and Like a slow drip. And he knows, he right. seems to me that he knows a lot. He's been a companion from the beginning to Giuliani, the confidant, not only the personal attorney of the president, but he's his confidant, sitting on conversation, sitting on phone calls, listening in. He even said he even heard things because Donald Trump, when he speaks on the phone, he yells. You don't have to put him on a loudspeaker. You can <laughs> hear him yelling That's on funny. the phone. So he knows more than what he said on TV. Right. And he's actually said he's ready. And the other person that he said also, 
that knew a lot is Mike Pompeo. No, Mark uh, is Mike the, Pence is the former National Security oh, Advisor. Oh, John Bolton. John Bolton, who said he wants to testify, and he said he was, and he said between the two of us. This is, I, I heard him, I had to actually replay. He said, between the two of us, we can cover the whole story. Kind of, yeah, the whole story. So between him and, and, uh, and Bolton, basically, all the facts will come out. I mean, the two charges, that there was an obstruction going on, this came later on, but definitely that Trump used his power and used basically the U.S. military aid to the Ukraine to basically collect dirt on, the Biden, on Biden and his son. And, and so he has all the details, and, and now he's in the hot seat because he... Uh, well, he got arrested. He got arrested. And charged. And charged. And he's just out on bail right now, Jamal. So he's out on bail, and he has been singing like a bird. <laughs> and he's going to sing more... And, and the crazy thing, I mean, sometimes, like, you wonder, and I've, I, I lost track of how many times Donald Trump uh, has lied in front of national television. It's like now there, there was a count done, I think, by either the New York uh, Times or the Washington Post. Thousands, like every day he has a new lie. No, multiple lies per day. And then he, he says, I don't know this guy. This guy comes back on TV. Say, what do you mean that you don't know me? You know, I mean, I was, I, I'm part of this whole deal. You, I've been hired to help Giuliani dig, dig up dirt on Biden. I'm willing to testify. I've had multiple phone calls. So, that, so, so in a way, you know, Donald Trump, he should be, there should be another charge. And I'm serious. What do you think that is? Perjury. Oh, perjury. I mean, yeah, perjury. You have to go to court and raise your hand. Yeah. But every day he perjures himself in, to, the yeah. pub, to the American public. He right. lies right. about this case well, and I th other cases. I think that's right, Jamal. But it may not be perjury in the legal sense, but it may be perjury in the political sense. Because, as I said, if you look at the arena politically, the majority of Americans do want to hear what really happened. The majority of Americans actually believe that he may have mishandled the whole issue with Ukraine. The majority of Americans, we didn't even get to this yet, Jamal, but the majority of Americans believe or, or believe not only that he mishandled the situation with Iran and the targeted assassination of Qasem Soleimani, but 70% of Americans believe that uh, he um, did not act in the best interest of the United States. So whether or not the, the trial in the Senate goes anywhere, it does appear that the political trial of his lying, his deceit, his dissembling, his putting Americans more at danger, which, you know, if we have time later, we're going to talk about, you know, what happened in Iran and the targeted assassination of Qasem Soleimani and did that make Americans safer or not? I could tell you it didn't make American troops in Iraq and Syria any safer. That I can tell you. So it may be that he is perjuring and losing. In well, the this, is, this is what um, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, said uh, today. Uh, Every day new incriminating evidence comes forward. I think that only speaks very clearly to the need for the Senate to enter the documentation onto their discussion. 
And uh, uh, just to add to what we've been talking about, the Government Accountability Office uh, yeah. also issued a, a stunning report, frankly, accusing the White House Budget Office of breaking the law by withholding military aid to Ukraine. Of course, they were uh, acting on the orders of uh, Donald Trump. Nevertheless, they were not supposed to do that. You know, this is the very issue at the heart of the impeachment effort. That's right. So now, you know, you have, uh, there might be a case now by the Government Accountability Office, you know, going after the White House Budget Office. We might have to do that. You know, because they're holding, they, they held back on, on the money. So what do we know about, because I think this is going to be a very key uh, witness, what do we know about the Soviet-born Florida businessman Lev Parnas? Well, he's an interesting character, Jamal. And any time you go to uh, Dulles Airport with a one-way ticket paid for in cash to go from Dulles out of this country to Austria, you're going to be a colorful character. I looked at some of the, we'll hear more details from you in a minute, but I saw pictures, at least five different pictures, of Lev Parnas with Donald Trump with a thumbs up, partying with other people and Donald Trump. I mean, it's, it's even hilarious to hear Donald Trump say that he doesn't know the man. There are multiple pictures of him hanging out, arms around each other, partying in Mar-a-Lago or at the Trump Hotel. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the man, Lev Parnas? Well, what, one thing, I mean, everybody knows that he's a close associate of Trump's uh, personal lawyer. Right-hand man, they Rudy say. Rudy Giuliani, and uh, they've known each other uh, for years. Lev, of course, was born in, uh, during the, uh, in Odessa, in the Ukraine, under the Soviet Union, so he's U- Ukrainian. By origin, born in 1972, Lev, uh, the name means lion in Russian. Just this is a factoid, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he settled in Florida when he was 23 years old, co-founded a company called Fraud. (laughs) Global Energy Producers. He actually has a company. Another named Fraud Guarantee. Fraud Guarantee. (laughs) And when he said that, and you're right. So so there was Fraud Guarantee, reportedly so he could bury Google search results about the history of deaths and court judgments against him. Right. So he had like this guy has a very shady past. 100%. Of of debt and court judgment and bankruptcies. So he so he creates this uh, uh, company called Fraud Guarantee, and he actually almost was apolitical. Had very little interest in politics until Trump ran for president. So he was like so he attended. Uh, his campaign rallies and became a donor. Nobody talks about about that, that he was actually a big donor to, you know, for Trump. So after, of course, the shock and the surprise win of uh, Donald Trump, Parnas became closer to Giuliani. You know, once of he course. knew like Giuliani now, you know, so, so this is when he started work on his behalf to collect dirt. This is what one thing led led to the other, 
uh, you know, and this is what he said to another interview uh, on to the New Yorker. Because of my Ukrainian background and my contacts there, I became like Rudy's assistant, his investigator. I don't do anything on my own. I don't lobby people. I got I go get information, I set up a meeting, I make sure that the call went right, I make sure the translation is done right. So this is when he got pretty much tapped by Giuliani because he's, of course, uh, speaks uh, Russian and Ukrainian and started working, working for him. So uh, it seemed that the relationship started to kind of develop further. Absolutely. And Giuliani started to rely on him more and more. And he started talking about things like, you know, he asked me, like, he's, I'm just giving another quote, after, after a meeting, after Giuliani met with him, asking for help organize, organizing top-level meetings in the Ukraine. So I don't know this guy, how much he's connected to the Ukrainian government and so forth. Giuliani, and this is, I'm quoting, he asked me after our presidential elections to help with meeting the newly elected president, Zelensky, but I told him that's impossible for me to help. We exchanged some newspaper and mass media articles, but nothing else. And then he started then later on trying to set this up uh, with the meeting. So it looks like, I mean, it, it doesn't look like this guy is very much connected. <coughs> And uh, Giuliani's this, this is when what happens when you deviate from the traditional uh, procedures. I mean, of just the State Department. The State Department. Otherwise, why, why do you have an ambassador? Well, it's called a shadow government. So, so instead of going, you know, through the ambassador, of course, they got rid of her. But instead of going through the proper channels, which is through the State Department, through the ambassador, through their connections, through the whole staff. They use this guy just because he happened to be Ukrainian and he spoke Ukrainian. Yeah. And then they, he started acting on behalf of the United States government. Well, Jamal, And without I, holding any, any title, just dealing through back channels yeah. with Giuliani. This is, how, this is how shady this whole operation is. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. Um, we're broadcasting live on Facebook Live on Jamal Dejani 2. That's the number two, Jamal Dejani Live. I'm sorry, Jamal Dejani 2, live on Facebook. We're also broadcasting live from our studio in San Francisco at 89.5. And if you didn't catch the entire show today, you can catch it on our, our podcast later. Jamal, I want to look at the big picture here because Lev Parnas is saying some very explosive things about who knew this. You know, the question, Jamal, is who knew what, when, and where? And rather than this being an isolated incident between the President of the United States and Rudy Giuliani, Lev Parnas is implicating a very large circle of official government people who were in on the fix and in on this extreme illegality. Not only does he implicate the president having direct knowledge and directing the whole thing, he implicated Mike Pence, the vice president, whom Parnas said knew everything. He implicated um, Mike Pompeo. So while they're allegedly surveilling 
a U.S. ambassador, Mike Pompeo is aware of this entire crazy scheme that Lev Parnas is doing. He also uh, implicated William Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, responsible for the laws of this country. I mean, even if like 10% of this is true, Jamal, the profound nature of the obstruction here, of the illegality, of the kind of grotesque abuse of state funds and state power is so enormous. I don't want us to lose sight of the big picture looking at some of these uh, details, which are immensely important. This is so much worse than what Bill Clinton did. I mean, Bill Clinton, yeah, he had an affair with Mona Lewinsky. He lied about it. Boom, he got impeached. You know, Richard Nixon, yeah, he paid these plumbers to uh, break into the Democratic National Committee headquarters and, uh, you know, steal information. Yeah, sure. He resigned. And he resigned. This, the enormity of this scam, Jamal, is so massive and it's so kind of grotesque in terms of what it says about the perversion of the system of government that Trump has managed to do and implicate all of the levers of power, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Lev Parnas, as it turns out, is a small player in this larger picture. I don't know what this, I mean, he, he has a very shady history. He might appear, I mean, he moved very fast. Very fast. And, but, through this, there are a lot of unanswered questions. Absolutely. Like, for example, did you know that Parnas and Mike Huckabee went to Israel? What? Yes, to meet with David Friedman and Benjamin Netanyahu's son, Yair Netanyahu. What? What is Lev Parnas I'm, doing in Israel? I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving you. So what's the connection there? What's going on? Oh, so geez. the circle keeps kind of like... Getting you know, bigger. Getting bigger yeah, here. Yeah. So, so he's, he's he, he, you know, in one way, he's a nobody, but he's somebody. He's a nobody. I mean, he has a very shady history. He has uh, bankruptcies and and, uh, he's shady. And, and, and and collections going on because of fraud and stuff like this. And then all of a sudden, he's catapulted to meet the president of the United States. He's running around with his uh, personal attorney. He is meeting uh, with the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador in Israel and uh, the son of the prime minister, the Israeli prime minister. So I don't know. That's why Donald Trump wants to rush this trial. You're right. There are, and this is this is one source, and, and this is kind of like, you know, two weeks ago we weren't talking about him. Right. And now he's a major character, and I think you'll find out through other connections, and because history with Donald Trump keeps repeating itself, is as soon as something, as soon as you fall down, Donald Trump will step on you and throw, you know, basically throw, throw you, you under, the bus. under the bus. And and then he hasn't learned his lesson that when you do that to people, they start singing like a bird. Right, and that's what Lev Parnas is doing. So, I mean... Look you know, at all the accusations we've heard before, even though unrelated to the Ukraine with uh, his last, uh, his former person, Attorney Cohen. Yeah. People don't repeat, don't talk about this anymore. I do. I mean, we talk about it, but then now we have Lev Parnas 
And I think the other key person is going to be John Bolton. Bolton. There's, a, there's another interesting piece, just to kind of bring this uh, to another level. Lev Parnas admitted uh, to having conversation with Devin Nunes, the California congressman who's been the biggest or among the biggest supporters of Donald Trump. He's on the Intelligence Committee with Adam Schiff. He's, you know, one of the shills for Donald Trump. So last week, uh, Parnas had said that, well, I, used to, I talked to Devin Nunes about Zelensky and this whole thing that I was doing in the Ukraine. Last week, Devin Nunes issues a statement saying, I never heard of this Lev Parnas. I never heard of him. I don't know who he is. So what happened yesterday be, before the uh, uh, Rachel Maddow's interview with Lev Parnas, Jamal? Devin Nunes's office issues a statement saying, oh, yeah, I had a conversation with Lev Parnas. I don't remember what we talked about, but it's, you know, nothing of nothing. So I do think you're right. I mean, it seems that Lev Parnas has touched the inner circle of Trump. He's touched congressmen who have carried water for Trump. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate. If you get arrested by the U.S. government charged with a felony, you're probably going to do whatever you can to try to cut a good deal, right? That's right. So his motivation to sing like a bird is not out of his, the goodness of his heart to no, tell the truth. Neither was uh, Cohen's motivation. Yeah, right. It's the same. Let's just keep that in mind. You know, the guy has been like, uh, the guy has been shady his entire life. So the way I think about Lev Parnas, he's shady. You would never want to do business with him. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's be skeptical. But if even 10% of what Lev Parnas has to say, Jamal, it's going to be devastating for the president of the United States. You're listening to Arab Talk again here on KPOO. Jamal, we only have about few minutes left. I want to talk about a few more things. We're going to be covering impeachment. Probably for the next couple of weeks, Months. even though even though they Months. want to end it very quickly. But I, I think it's going to drag longer. Absolutely. I think but I want to talk about you just came back from Palestine. That's right. We interviewed you briefly last week about Palestine. You had some very intense poignant things to say. And I, I just want to remind you that one of the things that kind of resonated with me was existence is resistance. And you said that in the context of the, you know, because when you think about all this stuff with impeachment, the, the kind of situation in Syria, the situation with Iran, um, all the craziness that's going on with Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, the question of Palestine, the central question of, of dignity, of respect, of, you know, of justice in Palestine, that has fallen off the radar for everybody in the mainstream media. And we don't even hear about it outside of our show. We don't even hear much about Palestine anymore. You were there for a number of weeks, Jamal. Uh, you, I don't know what the right word is to use. Malaise is not the right word. But people, Palestinians have been going through so much right now with their own government, with what's happening on the national stage. The siege of Gaza continues. Economically, things are very difficult in Palestine right now. Israel continues to steal Palestinian land. So 
Give us your impressions now that you've been back for 20 hours. Well, you know, just as you know, the situation is very dire, especially, I mean, I haven't seen actually um, the situation as, as dire as it is now or as it, as it was for me to see during the past four weeks. Wow. Since Donald Trump took office, uh, I think Palestinians, even though we may differ about the Oslo Agreement, uh, and I think it was a colossal mistake. Yeah. However, Palestinians were negotiating with Israel in good faith, following, you know, the, Since the dictates yeah. of the Oslo Agreement, uh, that first they're going to establish uh, their state on Area A and then move on to the other territories, uh, and the largest of which, by the way, is uh, Area C, including East Jerusalem. Now comes Donald Trump. He moves. Uh, he basically, basically, he breaks the tradition of every single president before him of keeping, just like many other states across the globe maintaining their embassy in Tel Aviv because uh, they don't recognize Israel's sovereignty over Jerusalem. He does that with a stroke of a pen, right? And so now Palestinians watch this. Yeah. And then, of course, followed by the annexation of the Golan. Right. And just last week, and this is another statement reaffirming previous ones. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and I was there, said that Washington's backing for Israel's settlements in the occupied West Bank will advance Israeli-Palestinian peace. Imagine. Unbelievable. So, I mean, statements like this not only anger Palestinians, but th frankly, they are shocked and they feel that they are being bullied Absolutely. by the United States. I mean, not only that they suffer under Israeli occupation, but they feel, I mean, if there was maybe a 5% hope or a 10% hope that the United States might play a positive role, there is now zero percentage as far as Palestinians go in believing this current administration that it's going to do anything to advance peace between Israel and the Palestinians. So all what they're seeing is really full support for Israel. And they've been played, I mean, from day one. Remember, the deal of the century that everyone is still waiting to hear. What's the deal of the century? All right, Jared Kushner. It's just like unfolding, right? It's unfolding. And we know the, the deal of the century means the annexation of Area C and East Jerusalem. More settlements. The annexation of the Golan Heights, which is Syrian. Uh, and basically a reversal of four decades of U.S. policy. This is a reversal that Pompeo, which, by the way, he made that announcement first in November, right. reaffirmed it last Wednesday, that the United States no longer viewed Israel's settlements on, on the West Bank land. It captured in the 1967 war as inconsistent with international law. So, I mean, what hope do Palestinians have when they see that the United States has become 
the judge and the jury and the executioner and the executioner <laughs> to give away Your own their land. indigenous land, all the rights, and just give a carte blanche to, to Israel. So I have to say the mood is very, very somber. Yeah. And, and uh, the only thing that Palestinians can do, and I've heard that, is the way, well, what can we do? Because Palestinians, since Oslo, remember, they've kind of gave up armed struggle. And I'm not talking about skirmishes that Hamas or Islamic Jihad, I'm talking about in general. That's why the Palestinian Authority was established. It's actually was trained, its police was trained by the United States and Canada. Uh, we can argue about this, what's the purpose, but it's really to protect Israelis and Israeli settlements yeah. and maintain peace. So they don't have a military to liberate their land. They've been watching like the situation unfold and, and settlers usurping their land inch by inch, meter by meter, mile by mile, you know. And so the only thing that they can do now, despite Israeli efforts to basically ethnically cleanse the land, is to exist. Exactly. And that's why when I told you existence is resistance, because hanging on to the little land that they have and staying uh, you know, on their own, in their own towns and vi villages, is a type of resistance. It's a it's it's a peaceful type of resistance, and but nevertheless, uh, they don't see any support, uh, not from the United States. And the United States is working against them, but also the international community is so exhausted. They forgot at dealing with all other issues in the Middle East, from the uh, Syrian issue to the most recent thing. An almost uh, major war in the Middle East triggered by the assassination of uh, Soleimani that became this close to a major war breaking, be breaking between uh, the United States and Iran, which would have put the whole region in flames, that the issue of Palestine in a sad way, aside from what the Palestinians are doing in a, in a uh, peaceful way, trying to kind of uh, reassert their existence is uh, hopeless uh, from their view. You know, Jamal, you were also there at the time, and I wondered if you could comment on this, at a time when Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, he had been indicted. He was unable to form a government. There has to be new elections again. But Benjamin Netanyahu, because of his close relationship with Donald Trump, is trying similar things. And when you were there, he asked the Knesset to grant him immunity from prosecution. I haven't heard anything about that. Did you hear anything about the status of his indictment and whether or not he has enough votes in the Knesset to protect him or to give him immunity from this, these indictments? Well, I mean, look, uh, in March, which is just around the corner, there's going to be another round of elections. Uh, the different parties have been jockeying now, the Labour, and, and, and uh, been making its moves to uh, create different uh, coalitions. We keep, things keep changing, uh, and, and uh, things will get sorted out. Now, the issue is, if Benjamin Netanyahu ends up winning again, then he will postpone his, in, basically, he'll postpone 
going to jail, really, not just indictment, because we know what happened to the former prime minister, uh, Olmert. He's in, he was in jail. Yeah, and, and others. So, so the only trick for him to do, and this is, a, you know, this is just by Israeli law, that they cannot indict and a sitting Prime Minister. Prime Minister, so he does have that immunity, and he's been living off this immunity. That's why he's the longest-serving Prime Minister mm. in Israel. However, there has been recently, because of, of different issues going, uh, going on, that maybe, and I'm not sure if this is the case, but maybe that bromance <laughs> between Netanyahu and Trump is cooling off. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah, so... so uh, there has been some statements. There have been some statements, Jess. You know, instead of gushing over Netanyahu and boasting of what he called the warmest U.S.-Israeli relationship in history, Trump has uh, been backing away. Like, uh, he's been distancing himself from Netanyahu. You know, he's made some statements and but he's been like saying my our relationship with Israel blah 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 versus Netanyahu so he had several statements yes. where the Israeli media have been noticing when Trump did not utter the name of Benjamin Benjamin that, Netanyahu once i think that's important you know so so there is something that maybe Trump senses that Netanyahu might fall before he does because if he loses in you know in uh, March he could end up in jail in April that's right and and so he's distancing himself away from him um we're going to be talking about this for a long time Jamal and the last little uh item that I want to bring up is kind of a testimony to what we've been saying about Palestine I happen to be watching on Friday Jeopardy. I know this sounds weird. <laughs> so here, here is Jeopardy, um, one of the longest running game shows. And uh, the question is... I, I'm going to interrupt you because there is something funny about this. Okay, and but hold, hold let, on. Let me just tell you, when the news broke about this, I was actually in Bethlehem. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, read, I read about it when in I was in Bethlehem. That's funny. Well, here's the story for our listeners who don't know about it. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's Jeopardy in the regular round, and the question is, where is this church? And they list churches all over, you know, the world. One of the churches they listed is the Church of the Nativity. Now, anybody who knows anything about Christianity and the birthplace of Christ knows that the Church of the Nativity is in Palestine. So there's three contestants the contestant that buzzed for the answer first happened to be the champion of the day. It's a woman who was the champion of the day. She's from New York, from Brooklyn. She sees the question, where's the Church of the Nativity? She buzzes it. She gets to say the answer. She says, Palestine. Alex Trebek says... The host. The host. Alex Trebek says, you know, she gets beeped twice. Not true. Another contestant beeps. He says Israel, and Alex Trebek says correct. Right. So the Twitter sphere, Jamal, I mean, Alex Trebek is beloved, you know, by and large by most people. The amount of shade 
from tens of thousands of Twitter followers who followed uh, Jeopardy were amazing to jump on Alex Trebek and the show Jeopardy for getting this so wildly wrong. Breaking news, Alex, the Church of the Nativity is in Bethlehem, which is in Palestine, and you should have that um, contestant that got buzzed wrong should be asked to come back and uh, regain her throne again as champion on Jeopardy. You have a quick well, update, actually, Jamal? Cause well, we actually, have to- actually, she won. She won. Uh, Jeopardy gave her back whatever the $200 for this question, but never apologized. I used to say all the time, Americans learn their history through conflicts, or the Americans learn their geography through conflicts. In this case, it wasn't. So, either Jeopardy has to apologize, or they have to fire, not the host, because no. they have to fire the judges, the, the producers, yes. and the researchers, and not just like say, oh, well, we actually gave her the money afterwards because people all over the world watch that video. They have to publicly, in the next show or so, Absolutely. say we've erred, we've made a mistake, and we're sorry about it. And on that uh, note, we've come to another close of Arab Talk. You've been listening to Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We've been broadcasting live from KPOO Studios live in San Francisco. Check out our podcasts for all our shows, ArabTalkRadio.com. Follow us on Facebook Live or Facebook at Jamal Dejani 2. We'll see you next week. See you next week.